And um, my title for this evening is Remember Where You're Going. Okay, remember where you're going. Um, I think it's really important to remember where you're going. Um, for example, to find your way. Uh, you may have a little confidence in the uh, GPS in your phone, or you may wonder whether the GPS in your phone is going to work. Um, but if you don't put in where you're going, then the GPS in your phone will not guide you, no matter what you do. You've got to know where you're going, okay? Um, to set an appropriate speed, you've got to know where you're going and how far it is. For example, when it's hot, you're walking through town, if you don't have far to go, take it easy, you know? Walk slow. I don't know whether our folks who are visitors to Bordeaux would have noticed that when it's really hot, everyone slows down and you see them walking really slowly through the streets. Uh, when I first noticed that, I thought that is so cool. Uh, I mean, it's not very cool uh, in the physical sense, but it's, it's very sensible, isn't it, to slow down when it's hot. Um, set an appropriate speed. But if you've got a long way to go, then you've got to hurry. No matter how hot it is, you've got to hurry. To choose an appropriate means of transport, it's important to remember where you're going. Some places you can walk, other places you need a train, other places you need an aeroplane. Um, to keep motivated as well, you've got to remember where you're going. Um, it's good to remember where you're heading. I think that's especially true for long-haul travel. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, people started going to foreign countries on holiday. And I could never see the benefit of it. Because where I lived, we had like hours to drive before we got to the airport. So you'd drive for hours and then you were at the airport and you had to wait at the airport for your plane. <clears throat> so you'd wait at the airport to get on your plane. Then you'd sit on your plane and you'd be in the, air, in the aeroplane for hours before you even arrived where you were going. And then normally your aeroplane didn't go where you were going on holiday. Normally you had to travel at the other end. So sometimes you'd spend the whole day traveling. And I would think, why would you do that? when there are nice places to go, kind of like three hours down the road. Why, why would you do that? And that was when I realized that um, there might be some places in the world that were even nicer than Barry Island. Although that's hard to imagine, but there could conceivably be places in the world that are even nicer than Barry Island and worth the effort to get there. So to keep motivated, you've got to think of those palm trees, you've got to think of those coconuts, You've got to think of uh, those sandy beaches. You've got to think of those glorious sunsets. You've got to think of those palm-roofed beach huts. You know, you've got to think of all of those things. Otherwise, you'll never, you'll never do it. You know? You'll never do it. Uh, for long-haul travel going home, you've got to think, well, you know, this, this is pretty, pretty ghastly. Airports and so on. Aeroplane food, I was trying to remember. Um, a flight I was on, when they brought round aeroplane food in a tray, and I looked at it, and I could not tell what any of it was. <laughs> now, admittedly, my colour vision might not have helped, but, I mean, I looked at it, and I thought, well, what order do you eat it in? You know, where do you start? 
um, because it was different colours, but there was no clue to tell you which was starter, which was dessert, and which order you should go in. I thought if they put numbers on them, that would be useful, or letters, you know, A, B, C, D, E, to tell you which order to eat it in. It was, you just didn't know what it was. And I thought, why do people do this? Well, they do it because they're going somewhere special, yeah? They're going either to those beaches with the coconuts or they're going home and home uh, you know home I wish French had a word like home chez moi is not quite the same thing à la maison you know à la maison je suis à la maison um, is not quite the same as I'm home you know there's a there's a kind of weight to home I suppose chez moi gets there a bit but home, you know? I don't know. Anyway, going home. <clears throat> so it's important to, um, to remember where you're going. And this has been important to me over the past couple of weeks because, you know, the world has been getting on my nerves. Um, it really has. Other people have noticed that too. <clears throat> um, whether it's political things, whether it's the environment... You kind of think, oh, I'm fed up with this world. I mean, one of the answers to that is don't watch the news, you know? Don't do it. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change the outcome if you don't know about it till tomorrow. You know, don't watch the news all the time. Uh, certainly don't watch it three times a day, you know? You don't need to know. Not that much. Um, but another thing that helps me is I think, well, look, if this world is getting you down, work for the next yeah work for the next if you work for the next world that has a good effect on this world too it really does but when this world gets you down look to the next and work for the next okay so it's all about knowing where you're going now okay you're thinking are we going to get to psalm 122 well this is where we get there uh psalm 122 the songs of ascent and i've said that um um, you can see this by looking at them. It starts with Psalm 120, <coughs> a song of ascents, which starts with um, a psalm for someone who's living somewhere where people don't love God. Okay, surrounded by people who tell lies, um, they they don't think that's important. It's it's a it's a bad situation that they're in. It ends in Psalm 134 with people standing together worshipping God. And the Psalms of Ascent really are songs to sing on that journey. Journeying from a place where God is not loved or respected or feared or, or known about to a place where God is celebrated and rejoiced in. Okay? So 120, 121, 122, and so on, through to 134. But you think, well, hang on a minute, Alan. Psalm 122 says, Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Not only that, but look at the heading. It says, A Song of David. Now then. <clears throat> Immediately, that raises certain issues for us. Um, firstly, did David write this? 
Some people say, well, he couldn't have because there was no temple. You know, David didn't build a temple. David established the city of Jerusalem, but not the temple. It was Solomon, his son, who built the temple. Um, So could David have written it? Some people say no. I'm not so sure. I tend to think it probably is David. Um, And then people say, well, surely we can't have arrived in Jerusalem. We've We've got all the rest of the journey to do. Well, in the same way that I think David wrote the psalm, I also think this psalm is, is not a psalm of people who, are, who have arrived, but in their mind, they can imagine their arrival. Okay? It's the power of anticipation, the importance of anticipation. It's the same thing that keeps you sitting in your seat at the airport waiting for them to call your gate, your departure gate, when you know you've got six hours of flight ahead of you and you're already fed up. And they're going to serve you mush in a tray and you won't even know what it is. And you think, why, why am I here? What am I doing here? And you think, yeah, sandy beaches, sunsets and coconuts. That's what I'm doing here. And you, you go to that happy place, don't you? Or if you're traveling to Provence, you think, Lavender fields. It's my happy place. If I ever I need to go to my happy place, I'm walking through lavender fields, hearing the bees buzz. Yeah? And it's a beautiful day, and the lavender is fragrant, and the bees are buzzing, and you think, yeah, that's where I'm going, that's why I'm here. Okay? So here is the power of anticipation. He's thinking, yeah, the journey is really hard. It's a long journey. But at the end, there's Jerusalem. There's Jerusalem. And there's the walls, and there'll be the temple for David. There will be the temple for us. There was the temple. Um, We'll come on to that in a moment. So it's this power of anticipation, yeah? Now, that is important for you if you're a Christian. It really is. Because the Christian life is like a journey. We've said that. Um, The Christian life is like this progress from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, We're going on this journey. And it's really important to anticipate the end of the journey. Because sometimes the journey is tough. Sometimes it's hard. And uh, you think, well, what am I doing here? Why, why, Why is my life a mess? Why is everything so hard? Why don't I enjoy my work? Why is my family difficult? Why is my health struggling? Why, Why doesn't it all come together? And you need to anticipate The time when it all comes together is not yet. I'm heading there, but it's not yet. Okay? It's not yet. The power of anticipation. Thinking about what it will be like to arrive at home. At home. Thinking what it will be like to see our Saviour face to face. Thinking what it will be like to be like him. Struggles behind us. Uh, reflecting his glory like we never have before, thinking what it would be like to to be there, to arrive, to be at home, to be worshipping God with everyone who's worshipping God, okay? So it's the power of anticipation. Um, We're going to take a little pause and just think about Jerusalem for a moment, okay? Because Jerusalem, uh, to begin with... um, 
What is Jerusalem to you? If I say to you, okay, what is Jerusalem in this psalm? What are you going to say to me? And that isn't rhetorical. That's an invitation for you to shut things out. Jerusalem, first word that comes into your head. City. City. Someone else? City, God's temple, okay. Anything else? The holy city, okay. Anything else? God's presence. God's presence, yeah. Anything else? A place where uh, many Christians come together in one place. Okay, a place where many, many uh, Christians or believers in God come together in one place, yeah. Anything else about Jerusalem? A safe place. A safe place, a safe place. yeah. Anything else about Jerusalem? A family. A family, yeah, yeah. All of these things. Um, you know, some words, like the word home. The word home, I mean, basically it means somewhere where you live, doesn't it? But it kind of means more than that. It means like your favorite chair. It means the heating system or the cooling system or whatever. It means the kitchen. It means the coffee machine. It means cake in a, in a particular place. It means your bed, you know, your bed. Um, it means so many things, home, doesn't it? It means the people you love. It means the colors that you chose. It means so many things. And in the same way, Jerusalem is a bit like that. Um, it means, literally, it means the fortress of peace. It's the fortress of peace. Um, so so in, in a way, it's supposed to be a place of safety and a place of peace. Uh, at the same time, it, it, um, it also means the temple of God. Yeah, because that's where the temple would be built. And so Jerusalem um, represents all of those things where people come together, where God's presence is known, where we're with him, um, especially. Now, if we think about that, what do we mean when we talk about temple? The place where God's presence is especially uh, known. But you see, at creation, the whole universe was God's temple, wasn't it? The whole earth was God's temple. There was no blood sacrifice, but God met with Adam uh, in, in the new creation, in the creation that was newly made. At the fall, um, there's the establishment of sacrifice because we'd rebelled against God. And so there's this need for reconciliation that had never existed before. But then that's concretized um, in the tabernacle. Yeah, the tabernacle becomes the place where God's presence is specially known. Remember, a cloud would come down to show that God was there. Yeah, and that was where sacrifice was made. That was where people met with God. Later on, the temple would be built and it would be built right in the middle of Jerusalem. And that was the place where sacrifice was made, but where God's presence was specially known. Later on, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He comes to Jerusalem. And what does he say? He says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And he's talking about his body. And it was destroyed. It was nailed to a cross in Jerusalem. And he rose from the dead on the third day. And then the temple is destroyed. No need for a temple now because Jesus is the true temple. But then later on we discover that his people are going to be the temple. And they're going to take his presence everywhere. So there's a sense in which um, 
God's presence is delocalized. Yeah? It's no longer just in Jerusalem. We no, we no longer have a holy place because everywhere is holy. Wherever Christian people gather, there God is present. Yeah? Uh, but then still, there's this um, uh, future before us where in Revelation 21, we see a holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And then the whole world becomes a temple once more. And God's presence fills the whole wide world. Okay? So Jerusalem carries all this baggage for us. It's, it's the place of reconciliation. It's the place where we meet with God. It's the place where God's presence is, is most specially felt. And it's the place where one day uh, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven and all those old boundaries are broken and we will be in the presence of God and the whole world becomes, um, in, in that sense, his temple. He's there with all his people everywhere. And so the importance of anticipation. You know, uh, the world, you don't need me to tell you, I could give you a catalogue and you could give me a catalogue of things that get us down about the world at the moment. It's a mess. It's a hot mess. Um, but when things are getting you down, anticipate that new world to come. Yeah? Where God's presence fills the whole wide world. Okay, let's go through the psalm bit by bit. Verse 1 and 2. Look at it. The big heading is joy. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Let's go. And a response of joy. Do you realize how popular worship is? I thought there must be somewhere a statistics for a statistic for the percentage of people in France who worship regularly. I couldn't find it. I don't know. I don't even know how to look. Um, but I do know this. I do know that if you took the people from all the churches and all the places of worship in Bordeaux, um, you wouldn't get them into the football stadium. Uh, we vastly outnumber every sport, uh, every um, music, uh, every cultural activity uh, that there is. Over 50% of French people identify themselves as being Christian. Over 50% say today, in, in, uh, in the, uh, about 2016, I think the figure was, about 52% of French people said, we are Christians. Uh, okay, uh, you know, I know that you have to read into that word, all kinds of stuff. But people have this sense of God. And um, we, we often feel kind of like uh, nobody, nobody worships anymore. It's not true. Worship is the most popular activity in the world. Uh, in the UK, where I'm from, um, you couldn't fit all the worshippers into the football stadiums. And what's the biggest thing in, in the UK? Probably, probably football. Probably. Uh, pop music, you use a football stadium. But you couldn't fit all the worshippers in the football stadiums. You couldn't do it. Because there are too many. Too many worshippers. Worship is this huge thing. It's much bigger than any other activity. And almost all worship is voluntary. Nobody forces people to go to church. Okay, now and again we kind of think, oh, well, I better go. You know, um, 
keep mum quiet or whatever. And uh, we've all had times like that, haven't we? Um, but then there comes a time when you have the choice, and most of you have made the choice, haven't you, to, to worship together. Um, almost all is voluntary. Uh, it's probably not for the seats, the comfort of the seats. I mean, we've got cushions, but, you know, it's probably not for the quality of the coffee, although the coffee, you know, there's worse, isn't there? Um, it's because of God. We want to focus our hearts on him. Uh, we want to take time out from this world and to think about him. We want him to fill our minds for a brief moment of time. There was a song we used to sing. We don't sing it anymore. It's, it's become a little bit kind of um, old. And, um, but there was one thing it said that I really liked. It had a cha-cha-cha rhythm as well. So, you know, kind of like these things don't age well. Um, but it used to say, well, it's true, but it used to go, so forget about yourselves and concentrate on him and worship him. You remember that? Yeah. Remember the cha-cha-cha rhythm? Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. And that is true, isn't it? Forget about yourself and concentrate on him and worship him. And we know that that does us good. To leave yourself at the door and focus on him does you a power of good. Um, I miss that verse. All the other verses I could happily forget. Um, but I miss that verse. And I don't know any other song that says quite the same thing. So forget about yourselves and concentrate on him and worship him. So someone's going to have to write a new song, please. I'll have to put that on Facebook or something when I... Could someone please rewrite this. And, and please, not a cha-cha-cha this time. Um, why? Because, you know, there is something wonderful about having in your life something that's bigger than you. Can you see that? You know, when you are the biggest thing in your life, your life is so small and so... Pointless and pathetic. You know, if you just live for the sake of you, why bother? But when you live for the, for the sake of something bigger... Now, I know some people, they find meaning in life in supporting Berry Football Club. Berry Football Club is threatened with closure. Uh, by midnight last night, they were going to know whether it was rescued or not. I, I don't know whether it's been rescued. Berry Football Club. It's existed since about 1883... And people are saying, I didn't realise how important it was in my life, otherwise I would have gone to matches. And you think, you know. Uh, and is it worth it? Is it worth living for Berry Football Club? But here is the, the, the living God. And to, to have him in your life gives you something bigger than you to live for. Something more important than you. Something that's worth it, you know. And you can give yourself, I don't think you can give yourself to Berry Football Club wholly, you know. And even if you do, who knows whether it will survive or not. You may regret giving your life for Berry Football Club. I think you probably would. Um, but to give, your, give yourself to him totally is the most wonderful thing anyone can do. To live for the living God. It gives your life meaning. All of a sudden your life counts. You have a purpose. There's a reason to live. 
Even on the darkest day, you say, well, I can live today for him. I can do it. I can do it for him. And that's the most wonderful thing, isn't it? So joy, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's his house. We're going to his house. And that brings joy. So the joy of worship. Verse 3 to 5, look. That's a stupid heading, isn't it? But there we are. That's my heading. Look. And, and it's, it's here where, um, where the psalm is kind of using imagination and, and seeing the destination. Look, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Um, it's a funny thing to say, isn't it? Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. I pondered this and I read different things and so on. I think this is what it means. When this psalm was written, my ancestors didn't exist. There, there, there was, as far as I know, there was hardly anyone living in the, in the British Isles. You know? Um, if there was anyone living there... They lived in uh, huts made of wood and they painted themselves blue. We do not have an illustrious past. Uh, um, at the time when the psalm was written, people in Israel, they didn't paint themselves blue, but they lived in huts. Yeah? You would get rocks, you'd put them together. I mean, I've got a friend in the house in Normandy and it's built the same way. Rocks and mud, basically. A bit of straw in to stick the mud together. And you kind of build it. There is a word for what, it, what it's called, but I can't remember the word for it. Um, and here you are. You, you arrive in Jerusalem and the first thing you see is the walls. And look at them. It's dressed stone. They're stones that have been cut into the shape of a rectangle. Can you imagine that? And you can put them all together and there's no gaps. They've got walls without mud. How amazing is that? And I think, you see, because we live in Bordeaux, you know, um, we forget the impact of these massive walls and these massive buildings on people who essentially lived in huts. That's what they lived in. Um, it, was, it was rough, you know, the way people lived in those days. Uh, imagine in the Middle Ages the effect of our fortresses and our cathedrals. You know, when people were, were um, coming out of their, they, they, they had houses, they didn't have windows, did they? They had holes, smoke went out of the roof, there was no chimney, there was, it, was, it was basic life, you know? And then you come into the street and there's this cathedral. You know? The amazement of it, or seeing the fortresses, and that is what, what's happening here. And, and here is the, the psalm writer, and he's imagining these walls of Jerusalem, and they're, they're, they're dressed stone, there's no gaps, there's no mud, there's no straw. Look at it, it's all compacted together. And here we find then, how do we apply this to us in our Christian lives? Well, look at, look at, look at what you've got as a Christian. Just look at what you've got as a Christian. You have solid realities to your life. You've got a framework. You've got a, a structure 
within which you understand where you fit. I think that works grammatically. It doesn't matter if it doesn't. You get the point. For example, you know where the world came from. You know, people are saying, well, I don't know where we came from. You know, oh, oh, you know. I suppose everything happened by accident. And they look at the motorway system and they look at the railway system and they think, well, it all means nothing, really. I look out at the cities, you know, well, at the end it's nothing, isn't it? You know, you go far down and you find it's all space, really. It's just kind of fields moving around and forces and, you know, it means nothing. And you as a Christian, you say, well, no, God made this. And he's made it in this amazing way. And the deeper you look, the more amazing it is. But here is this creation that God has made. And you have a solidity to, to who, you, who you understand yourself to be. God made me. He meant me to be a bit like this. Okay, sin has had its effect, you know. But he meant me to be at least a bit like this. And then redemption. Uh, gives you a certain solidity. God loves his creation and has, has sent his son for me. And, and uh, you, you know that your life is not empty and meaningless. There's, there's love at the heart of it. Yeah? God loved me and sent his son for me. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so creation and redemption. And then uh, there's the, the prospect of eternity. You say, well, it's not just all going to fold in on itself, you know, in, in kind of like entropy. Off it goes, you know. Maybe the big crunch. Maybe the big crunch followed by another big bang. And we'll all do that for, for endless eons that we can't conceive. And you say, well, no. God has made us to enjoy him forever. And your, your life all of a sudden, well, you've got a direction. You know, you have a framework, a solid framework that people around you lack. They don't have that. You can't imagine this, the, this, the effect of that on their psychology when they don't know where they came from, why they exist, or where they're going. Can, can you even begin to imagine that? So, solidity. Then unity, look at this. <laughs> um, this psalm is, is, is wonderful. Um, this is where the tribes go up to the, tr the tribes of the Lord to praise the name of the Lord. The tribes. And you know at the time of, um, of Jesus, there was a certain kind of um, snootiness in Jerusalem. I think capital cities are prone to this. They say, oh, they're very provincial, you know. Um, he's, he's, from, he's from the countryside, from the steppes, you know. Um, and they said, Galilee? Could anything good come from Galilee? Up north? And if you've got a bit of a funny accent, and I'm looking around, and most of you do have a very odd accent, um, we need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ probably had a northern accent, didn't he? And you hear, the, you hear the tribes. And they're not all the same. And they don't all speak the same. They all belong. But they all gather together. And they gather together to praise the name of the Lord. And here we are then. One human race all over the world. And we don't look the same. Or we don't talk the same. Or we don't eat the same. Or we don't think the same. But we all have the same creator. 
We all have the same Lord. And all the hard things that divide us, and we, sometimes we hurt each other by saying stupid things, and we don't even realise we've done it, you know? And if nobody tells us, we'll never ever know. Um, but here we are, and we all belong, the tribes of the Lord. And the, the, the great thing that unites us, that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, is bigger than all the things that divide us. Because Jesus unites us, and he's bigger than all the rest. United purpose, they meet to worship, uh, to praise the name of the Lord. Um, the G7 is meeting, even as we speak, and they find a common purpose. You know, uh, will it be trade? Will it be the environment? Will it be this, that, or the other? Who knows what will happen? Um, yeah, who knows? Whether it'll make a difference, who knows? Uh, but here are the, these tribes, and they've joined with a, with a common purpose. Um, God has invited us, God has commanded us, God has, has, has uh, brought us together to unite in him and for him. Because he's good to praise his name. And we come, um, we come because of him. It's not because of how we feel, because of him. This is where I need to find the quote. Now, I'm hoping this is not going to make my phone blow up. So far, so good. Um, it's not just because we feel like it, okay? Sometimes we feel like worship, sometimes we don't. But here is the quote, okay? Um, and listen to this. This comes from a book that is about 20 years old. I have put great emphasis on the fact that Christians worship because they want to, not because they're forced to. But I've never said that we worship because we feel like it. Feelings are great liars. If Christians worshipped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. Feelings are important in many areas, but completely unreliable in matters of faith. Paul Scherer, I don't know who Paul Scherer is, is laconic. The Bible wastes very little time on the way we feel. I can't imagine anyone writing like that now. I really don't think we'd write like that now, but this is just 20 years ago, okay? We live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying that we, we worship because God invites us to. And because it's good. And because that's what we're made for. And so we worship. And as we worship, God helps us to feel uh, how good and how glorious he is. And then the last thing from this little section. To listen. To listen. There stand the thrones for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. When we think about judgment, um, we always think in terms of are people guilty or innocent, okay? That kind of judgment. But I don't think this is talking about that necessarily, because there are other courts too. Um, our dear mayor, Monsieur Juppé, uh, he's now sitting uh, on the Conseil Constitutionnel. The Conseil Constitutionnel doesn't decide whether people are guilty or not. It decides whether things are wise, whether things are really French, whether things fit with 
um, the Constitution, whether things should be done. It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, other countries have a Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is not just about whether things, uh, people are guilty or innocent. It's about whether we should go down this road, you know, whether this is a good thing for the country or not. Uh, is this right? Is this just? Is this coherent? Is it wise? Is it good? And here then uh, are God's judgments. And sometimes we don't know how we should live, you know. Um, here is God. And we, for a moment, we shut up and we listen to him. You know, and, and that as well does us good, doesn't it? To remember there's someone bigger than us and to remember there's someone wiser than us, you know, um, how good that is sometimes to remember that. And we need from time to time just to shut up and listen. Um, and in order to do that, there's nothing like worship, you know. It's not just a case of getting out your Bible and saying, I know, I'll do Psalms 23 again today because uh, I feel like it's a good Psalm 23 day. I'm not saying never read Psalm 23, but I'm saying, you know, kind of like you know, um, when we come together to worship, it's so much more helpful. In Bordeaux Church, we, um, we preach through books of the Bible generally. Um, there are weaknesses in that. It means I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on the death penalty for example, or a sermon on divorce. Um, I don't think I've ever done that. And that's one of the weaknesses. But the strength of it is that I can't go preaching every week about the death penalty and divorce, you know, if that is what bugs me. I can't do that. Um, because we follow through books and we're going to go through acts and uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I can't wait. Um, but it's going to be demanding as well. So we need to pray. So look, and then the last one, verse 6 down to verse 9. Peace. Jerusalem, the fortress of peace. What made peace possible? Well, it was that temple, wasn't it? In a way. Or at least it pointed to the way that peace would be made possible. You know, people brought their lambs, and the lambs were sacrificed. And next year they bring another lamb. Or when they made some mess up in their lives, they bring another lamb. Uh, when there was a, a, a dispute, they'd bring another lamb. And I suppose there was never really peace, was there? But then there came a time when the Lord Jesus Christ came and he did make peace. His sacrifice, remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his sacrifice really did make peace. He made peace with God for us and he made peace possible between us too we can live at peace with God and we can live at peace with one another through the Lord Jesus Christ and it all focused on Jerusalem and so <clears throat> the psalm says to us well ask for peace pray for the peace of Jerusalem may those who love you be secure may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadel all the peace of the fortress of peace. May there be peace from Jerusalem. May there be peace and prosperity. And may God's people know his presence. And um, that all takes us to 
something that I've kind of alluded to, and I want to just read to, uh, to conclude this evening. And it's from Revelation chapter 21. If you want to follow, it's page 1249. And I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 6. And I'm going to read the end of the chapter. So Revelation chapter 21, last, last um, couple of chapters of the Bible. Now listen, listen to this. <laughs> Just listen to this. Let this be your happy place that you go to in your mind, okay? For a moment, let this be your happy place. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Then I'm jumping down to verse 21. I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, you got a destination? Do you know where you're going? It's so important, isn't it? It's, it's written on your ticket. Um, they'll put it on the, on the board. They'll announce it. Um, passengers for, and it's your destination. You've got to know so you can go to the right gate. So important to know where you're going. If you're driving down the road and the, the telephone or the GPS in your car... Um, is directing you. It's really important to have put in your destination. Do you know where you're going? And my, and my question to you this evening is simply this. Where are you going? Where are you going? Do you know where you're going to? We'll pray.